Welcome to On the Mark, hosted by Howard M. Rubin. I'm a partner at the law firm of Getz Fitzpatrick, and uh, my experience working with my clients is that this COVID uh, pandemic that the world is facing has not only changed the way business is being done in the short term, but it's changed a lot in how businesses are going to operate in the future. And I thought it would be useful to have a podcast series on different industries, which we which is what I've been doing, uh, and how COVID has affected those industries, both short-term, but more importantly, long-term, as we get out of the uh, COVID pandemic, hopefully uh, in uh, 2021 and the future. And today, the, uh, the topic we're going to be discussing is uh, utilization of retail development properties uh, and how it's changed in a COVID world, how people are, are going and using and buying in a retail world and how the developers and the operators are responding to that and how those changes uh, may or may not be uh, permanent. We have two uh, great speakers today. The first is uh, Craig Tagan, who's a uh, equity owner and managing director of Clarion Partners. Clarion Partners is a uh, leading U.S. real estate investment uh, firm for over 30 years. 38 years, I'm sorry. It's headquartered in New York and has uh, offices in major markets throughout the U.S. and Europe with over $56 billion in total assets under management. Clarion Partners offers a broad range of both equity and debt real estate strategies across the risk return spectrum to more than 1,300 investors uh, across 40 U.S. markets to its more than 500 domestic and international institutional investors. Craig is not only the equity owner and managing director, he's the head of separate accounts and also a portfolio manager leading several client accounts. In, in this role, he's responsible for the oversight of the firm's separate account clients and managing the associated portfolio management staff. Craig's a member of the firm's executive board as well as Clarion's investment operating and valuation committees. Craig joined the firm in 1997 as over 35 years experience across real estate investment, management development, uh, and portfolio management. Welcome, Craig. Thank we you. also have uh, Howard uh, Mittner, who is a managing director of Karl Marx Associates and a consultant, advisor, coach, and mentor. Uh, he has over 50 years' experience in retail and non-for-profit cent- uh, sectors. He believes the value of building and empowering dynamic teams to successfully assess and overcome strategic and organizational challenges. We're certainly facing those challenges now. His expertise has been acquiring through a career that has embraced geographic, uh, organizational, and sector-based diversity, resulting in a rich reservoir of management experience and success as the CEO and and a senior executive. For more than 19 years, he was senior executive with DFS Group, which pioneered the development of off-airport retailing as a component of their travel retail proposition. He's he has, um, in 1997, he launched Sephora in the U.S. as CEO, and this is now a $3 billion-plus organization in the U.S. alone. Uh, he has managed crisis implementation, turnaround strategies, and solutions, created long-term strategic plans and visions, launched startups, and overseen organizational transition in many countries around the world. Uh, while he's presently managing director of Call Marx, he was formerly managing director at Ash Creek uh, Advisors, uh, as well as uh, several other uh, companies. Uh, welcome, Howard, and um, uh, we look forward to an interesting conversation 
on what the world is going to look like in uh, in retail development in the future. Thanks, Howard. Uh, well, let's start off with this. You know, I remember uh, before this pandemic, uh, you'd go to a mall and you'd do shopping. People would buy on Amazon, but malls were busy and uh, retail development was busy. And that seems to have changed somewhat in that um, people aren't going to malls. And uh, malls are uh, either going to have to find a new way to utilize that space, and the owners of those malls are going to have to find a new way to utilize that space, or they're uh, going to have to get people to come back to the malls. So, Craig, what do you think is going to happen to malls in the future after this pandemic? Well, I'd start by saying that COVID-19, the COVID-19 crisis, has really accelerated many of the structural changes in retail and overall neighborhood retail has performed much better than malls over the last 12 to 18 months. And so malls have been closed uh, and, and the impact on retail has been broadly negative because of social distancing and stay-at-home orders. And over the last year, for example, uh, it wasn't until last week that Apple, who dominates retail across the country and is and in most major malls, had all of its stores open for the first time in this country. So malls have clearly been on defense, but you've got some great operators in Simon and Brookfield and, and other major operators who really understand where they are in the market, they understand their customers, they've got some real challenges ahead. Uh, and the challenges are to really find a better way to position these malls so that they become more experiential and to, to diversify the tenant mix away from some of the um, from some of the retail that more easily goes to um, e-commerce and reorient the tenant mix in a more service-oriented fashion. Thank you. Howard, the, the, there's certainly a shift to uh, e-commerce. More and more uh, retail uh, purchases are being made online, and people are getting in this pandemic used to doing their shopping more and more online instead of going to malls. Uh, do you see any way that that uh, trend is not going to continue and that, uh, that the, uh, the retailers are going to have to do more of their sales online and find another way to uh, utilize the, uh, the stores themselves? Well, there's nothing new, obviously, about the growth of online business. Uh, that was happening for years, even before COVID. And as Craig said, COVID sort of accelerated many of the trends that were in place. And certainly retailers who found themselves in an uncompetitive position, it was generally because they hadn't fully developed their e-commerce properties and their uh, online on, omni-channel uh, activities. So... Um, 
and there's this it's easy to then make the leap well retail's finished with or what have you people uh, should still know that um, in many cases 75% of a company's revenues will, will be done in store however uh, online will continue to grow and they're not mutually exclusive they are a, a one plus one equals three scenario so um, the opportunity for brick and mortar retail other than integrating itself fully with its online social media and e-commerce um, uh, attributes is to recognize that we've all had a miserable 12 months that uh, that miserableness may go on for a couple more months and people as we can see cannot wait to re-engage physically and to re-engage mentally with um, a return to um, prior behaviors, even though the normal may be somewhat different than the past. And so I think um, retailers who are savvy, who are thinking through what this new consumer behavior is going to look like, um, if they take advantage of that consumer's need to uh, engage in um, a, a different type of retail experience that takes into account everything that everyone's been through, they're going to do very well. Um, I'll tell you one business that I recently uh, did a turnaround on in the restaurant uh, sector, um, which we sold in June of last year successfully, they are doing in their restaurants, and there's 50 of them world, uh, nationwide, in many of their restaurants where they were at 50% capacity, um, they were doing more revenues than they were in 2019. And that's an indication of the, the uh, demand among the consumer to return to these physical experiences, uh, whether it's in a mall or in a high street or wherever. Craig, you, uh, you mentioned also, and Howard also mentioned, about making these spaces more of an experience for the, uh, for the consumer. Uh, how do you do that? What do you, what do you see uh, happening that's going to uh, be able to get the consumers to uh, be excited about uh, coming back to stores. It seems to me that a lot of this is uh, we're no longer going to have so much big anchor stores. We're going to have a lot of fulfillment centers for the, the retailers who are um, uh, selling online, and then there are people who are picking it up in, in, in stores or fulfillment centers. But what do you see is what can the retailers do to make this more of an experience? When you think today about the most successful retailers, they you're, you're you're buying online from them, and you have the ability to return through the mail. You're buying online, and you can return it to the store, which they very much prefer, so that they can get you back in the store. You can buy it in the store, and they will ship it to you to your home. You can buy it in the store, take it home, and then return it online. Or in some cases, you can buy it online and even return it to 
another store that they are affiliated with. So the, the strategy for the most successful retailers and merchants today is combining both an online presence and the use of e- e-commerce so that it is most convenient for their customers. Once they get in the store, then you know that then they're going to be faced with how to capture the dollars when someone walks inside the store. And the challenges that shopping malls have today is years ago, um, and I'll mention, you know, Sears, who was really the dominant retailer, the dominant mall tenant, and we're going back several years, and, and had its catalog was the Amazon of 40 or 50 years ago. Well, today, most mall owners that have a Sears have a vacant box. And if you would have asked the question, what did you do with that box before COVID, you probably looked at it and you said, you'd bring in food, you'd bring in entertainment, and potentially maybe co-working. Well, all of that actually went out the door last year when we all sat home and discretionary retail, restaurants, gyms, and entertainment was significantly hit in the near term by our social distancing practices. Today, we're all waiting, really waiting to get our vaccines and re-engage on all of those. So I think what you're going to find is that mall owners are now going to have to go back to the playbook and reinvent themselves so that they become uh, attractive once again to attract those discretionary retail dollars. And the focus is going to be on restaurants, entertainment, and other ways that the mall can be part of a local community. Thank you. Howard, you mentioned before that you worked with some uh, restaurants and that they've been somewhat successful. But I I note that um, a lot of the mall-type restaurants, like the Cheesecake Factory, have been reported that their sales have been substantially down uh, because of the pandemic. Uh, If people are not going to be going and spending as much time in malls, is there a way that the restaurants can recoup a business doesn't it doesn't those businesses usually if people are at a mall and there's a restaurant in the mall they're going to go to the restaurant because they're in the mall it's usually not a destination uh place to go particularly for the smaller uh restaurants uh how do uh restaurants uh adjust to that and get people to to, to be in their uh, businesses well i think you've just touched on a, a a perfect issue which is um you know they they have to change as do the the malls. I mean, the first thing is, I think the the mall owners have to redefine who they are. Um, you know, this whole idea of a shopping mall is probably um, a, a wrong uh, name for it now because are they not going to need to move to become town centres or community galleries? In other words, it's got to be something more than it was in the past. And I would say to you, any restaurant or any retailer who thinks they can provide the same blah, blah, blah service that they had before are going to find that they're going to have less customers. So what are, what are the, the ways for malls and, and uh, 
restaurants indoors to look at this is to think outside the box, think outside the mall. You know, these malls have wonderful um, parking spaces which can be activated as additional outdoor dining uh, facilities or cultural spaces. They're all pretty well located from a transportation point of view. So I think it needs reimagining. Now, there, it's true that uh, restaurants and malls suffered uh, badly um, because there was no people, there were no people coming there. But where you can provide, as uh, many do, and access from the outside as well, then you have um, restaurants and other services that can survive uh, based on destination uh, type of demand rather than I'm going to the mall, I'll grab something to eat. And there's a sense that there's a, some, been some great articles written about the upgrading of dining in malls. Obviously it would be reflective of the community and the demographic. So the whole thing of where you would have these um, sort of um, food courts, I think things are going to become much more sophisticated. And I think you're going to see um, definitely uh, mall owners, shopping center owners, wanting to get more dining in there because you cannot replicate a dining experience online. You have to go out to get it or you just do the normal delivery process. So there's an, it's a good example of where there's a whole opportunity for innovation and collaboration between the, the, the restaurant tenants and the, the mall owners. A, a very interesting example of this um, is actually the Northgate Mall in Seattle, which Simon began to redevelop in 2019. Simon's converting Northgate Mall into a mixed-use commercial and residential complex with an, H, uh, an NHL training center for Seattle's new hockey franchise. So the new development is going to include the new NHL training facility, including three ice rinks, 800,000 square feet of Class A office space, 1,200 residential apartments, and 500,000 square feet of retail space. And much of that retail space will be different food venues that will work and be supported by the training facility, the office, and the residential. Thank you. Uh, Craig, I, I wondered, you know, I know that you do um, a lot of portfolio management and a lot of type of uh, real estate investments. Are you, when you're looking at new investments, new real estate investments, are you looking to um, to invest other than retail? In other words, use those spaces for something other than retail? And what would that uh, be? What would you use the spaces for that would normally in the past be used for retail? So, um, so, so Clarion invests across all the four major property types mm -hmm. um, of, of our uh, portfolio, we're a very large investor. Nearly 40% of our investments are in the industrial sector. Um, and that sector today is really taking investment dollars that in institutional investors were investing in retail for many years 
and now investing in industrial. And when I look at our industrial portfolio, which is over 200 million square feet, and I see what many of the demand drivers are, they are for e-commerce, third-party logistics, and actually retailers who are utilizing warehouse space for their fulfillment. So today, retailers, if you if you had a 40,000 square foot box in a power center or a mall today, in many cases when that box goes dark, it's highly unlikely a 40,000 square foot tenant is available to backfill it. So landlords are constantly reinvesting capital. They're they're, they're, they're subdividing spaces as tenants put more of the front of their store in the mall or their strip centers and then are utilizing less expensive warehouse space uh, for, their, for their distribution. Now that, I know, leads you to be the question of can these malls be utilized for distribution? And to date, we haven't seen it. It doesn't feel right that Amazon is going to take a big empty Sears box and use it for one of their distribution centers. Uh, I, right now, we haven't seen that. And it doesn't feel right that the consumer who goes to the mall is going to be comfortable driving around the mall ring road with 45-foot tractor trailers and hundreds of sprinter vans coming in and out. So I think what you're gonna find is that actually malls, while, they're, while those anchor spaces won't necessarily become distribution centers, they will be repurposed and that malls will actually have less retail square footage and more alternative uses like the ones I mentioned. And for the most part, you have many of your major mall owners today looking at introducing residential, looking at introducing office or co-working and other areas that service the community, but not necessarily distribution directly onto the mall space. There are a few instances across the country and where we are active where we've actually purchased failed malls class B or class C malls, and we are repurposing those malls today because of their great locations that are close to the interstates for industrial, for big box use. And what we're doing is we're taking the perimeter of that area and adding enough retail that it faces towards the outward community, adding service retail, and then building big box industrial just behind it. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, Howard, I wanted to ask you, I know you were uh, uh, in, in, instrumental in Sephora's uh, rise in the United States, but, and take that as an example, as one example of a, um, uh, I call it a mall store, a store that, that most of their stores, businesses, uh, survive in the malls because they, the traffic in the malls. Do you see those types of businesses now going to uh, standalone locations rather than be mall stores? No, I think definitely. I mean, in fact, um, Sephora uh, have announced that they're going to um, 
follow something of the alter strategy where um, they're going to go into these neighborhood uh, shopping areas and freestanding uh, locations where they're, they're in a good locale from a access and transportation point of view. I mean, I remember when we first went and met with the Tauntman group, um, we met with them because they were excited and wanted Sephora to be in their malls, but they had the upper hand at that point. You know, they had some great malls and some B-class malls and they packaged it together and said, you've got to go into all of these. Well, the great thing today for retailers is they have choice. And I think and unless you are um, able to uh, take advantage of the demographic that a mall sees and you feel just as crazy example of the Seattle Mall, that there's activities going on that will sustain uh, your retail business, I think um, we're going to see more and more retailers um, opt for these other locations. And um, Sephora is, will be one among them. And uh, I think it will allow for um, a rebalancing of the economics of a mall um, uh, because uh, they will need to either provide attractive rents for key tenants or they're going to have to find alternative use, as Craig has said. But yes, I think that's going to, to be a, a, a big trend as we look ahead. Thank you. Uh, Craig, I, I want to shift a little bit uh, as to um, government's role in all of this. Do you think that there's a government role by way of tax credit and policy to help retail development, such as greater tax breaks for uh, certain types of development or the employees uh, who are out of jobs because of this and to, to incentivize them? Is it, what, what do you think, if anything, is the government's role? Well, uh, to date, you know, the currently there are, there are a few national programs in place um, that are tax incentive driven programs where uh, developers are and, and investors are putting together funds and there are opportunity zone funds. So investors today have identified property and opportunity zones and then are using that and the tax advantages to build in those zones. An example of that is Brookfield building uh, the Sono Collection, which is a mall in Norwalk, Connecticut. And it's actually one of only, when you think about regional mall openings, it's one of only five malls to be opened in the U.S. in the last five years. So when you think how hard it is not only to aggregate the land and go through the development process, um, there are there there do, does have to be a compelling reason uh, to do it. And in the case of this, there were some there, there were there are some tax advantages to the investors uh, to to that property and to the developer to that property. And 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 how about you, Howard? Do you think that the government has a role in um, helping uh, developers or, or uh, mall owners? Well, I, I don't think there's any need for more malls, and there's certainly too many stalls already in the United States. Um, 
So I think, um, you know, if government's looking at where its priorities should be, I think there's plenty of redevelopment, as Craig mentioned earlier, with B and C class malls being repurposed um, rather than trying to open in uh, new malls that uh, are absolutely not necessary. I mean, I was reading some research. Uh, they reckon 10,000 stores are going to close in 2021, and the research showed that by January the 23rd, 1,700 had closed. So I think we're going to see a continuing downsizing of uh, uh, the number of retail stores. Everyone's doing it, Bed Bath & Beyond, Macy's, Office Depot, JCPenney, Zara, I could go on and on and on and on. And so they're going to, um, what, what that's going to leave is um, a large number of vacant spaces that for the creative mall owner, the creative landlord, um, the creative neighborhood, um, an opportunity to um, uh, repurpose and to have mixed use and to find um, uh, and to find a way of serving the communities that use those facilities. So, um, no, I wouldn't be an advocate of building new malls, but I am an advocate of reimagining malls in exactly the way that Craig said that um, Clarion is doing. Uh, one final question. Uh, I notice if you, I'm sure you both uh, follow the stock market somewhat. Uh, and that uh, real estate REITs and uh, Simon, Simon Stock uh, are uh, doing very well. Uh, do you think that that's a, uh, a sign that uh, we should be optimistic that there is a future for, uh, for the retail malls and that uh, the stock market is reflecting what uh, it hopes or what will be, uh, what will be in the future? Uh, Craig, what do you think of that? Well, I, I think... That's just a reflection of the anticipation that when we all are finally unleashed from our masks and have our vaccines, that we're really going to want to go out and sit inside a restaurant and enjoy each other's company and go to a concert or go to a gym. Um, and I, for one, can't wait to do all of those things. So when that happens, that, along with the stimulus package and putting some dollar in people's pocket, the stock market just seems to be, you know, uh, a, a reason to believe that your strong malls and your strong mall operators are going to be able to participate in that. That's great. And Howard, is there anything uh, you can uh, uh, give us an opinion on that's optimistic in the future and what people can look forward to other than uh, getting out of their houses and uh, no longer having to uh, be segregated and quarantined? Yeah, I think there's going to be a big reward for innovation and creativity um, um, and new alliances. I think one of the reasons why Simon's getting uh, good press and uh, doing well is because they're being very creative in some of the new alliances that they're forming and some of the acquisitions they've made. Um, you know, you look at uh, Target, they, they're now putting Apple pop-up stores in their locations, and um, they've done this joint venture with Ulta, Coles have done Sephora, Nordstrom's have done Tonal. 
I could go on ad infinitum. I think um, the rewards will be there for the most creative and innovative, those that are going to pr provide an enhanced experience. And um, I think uh, consumers are going to be very discerning between those that are just offering what was there before and those that are really embracing and welcoming them back with some new experiences. So I, I am absolutely an optimist. And it doesn't mean that uh, online is going to diminish in terms of importance. Online will continue to grow, not at the rate um, that we've seen before. And I think retail is going to have, um, you know, a great 18-month uh, run before competitive issues begin to affect individual companies. Well, let's uh, end on that note, that optimistic note. Uh, I want to thank you both for participating. If uh, anyone wants to uh, be in contact with either of our speakers, uh, they can contact me, uh, Howard Rubin, at H-R-U-B-I-N at G-O-E-T-Z-F-I-T-Z dot com. And I'd be happy to put you in contact with uh, the speakers. Uh, Craig and Howard, I want to thank you very much. I think it's been very informative. And uh, I think you've given us a, an idea of the path of what the future is going to look like. And there is a future that we can all look forward to. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot, Howard. Thank Thanks, you. Craig. Thank you. Thank, thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you.